Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. John Winterton with Piermont Cardiology. We're talking about coronary artery disease and we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. As a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down so you can hear us and we can hear you. The number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. So doctor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity sure. to Sure, and we were talking earlier you. about what you'd like to talk about and very interesting statistics and, and I like that we're focusing on the coronary health, artery health, um, rather than the disease part. So just give us an overview. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand a couple of things uh, relative to coronary artery disease. We talk about that in, in general terms and patients hear that when they go to the doctor's office and I think it, it, there's often an op a misunderstanding of what that really means. And so in general, the uh, heart itself is a muscle just like other muscles in the body. The heart has its own blood supply, which is principally constituted of uh, three little arteries. They're about three millimeters in diameter. Uh, those little arteries run on the surface of the heart and then have little branches that, that help supply the heart muscle itself with blood uh, to do its work. Uh, the heart does not get its blood from the, the blood that's in the chamber of the heart. Uh, which is often a, a misunderstanding a lot of people have. It's those little arteries that run on the surface of the heart that, that are referred to when we talk about uh, coronary artery disease or heart artery disease. Those are the arteries that get uh, affected by uh, cholesterol plaque, which builds up over a period of time, which uh, actually begins probably at a very astonishingly early age, uh, perhaps as early as 18 months in some people uh, and it progresses to a point that at around age 32 in people who are going to develop heart artery disease would begin to see evidence of that if uh, in pathologic specimens and not very far after that that we begin to see the manifestation of disease itself in other words heart attacks and, and if you wanted to broaden it and talk about strokes all of those things begin to happen shortly thereafter uh, Coronary artery disease, or blockage of the arteries supplying the heart, occurs for lots of reasons, but we do know that there are six major risk factors uh, that affect the development of cholesterol plaque in the arteries, uh, those being diabetes and high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, uh, being overweight, or having a sedentary lifestyle, a so-called uh, so sedentary lifestyle, meaning not active, uh, and uh, family history or genetic history of coronary artery disease. Uh, those are the factors that, that we know in, uh, with a great deal of certainty are, are related to the development of blockage or cholesterol plaque in the arteries. It's therefore, uh, ab we're able to uh, have a treatment plan for patients who have those problems. You first have to recognize though that you do have a problem. Uh, Folks who have those risk factors, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, etc., need to be aware that they are at risk for heart disease. Uh, if then, uh, during activities or otherwise, you develop pain or pressure or tightness in your chest, you develop shortness of breath, or actually something as simple as just, hey, I don't tolerate doing what I want to do. Um, Folks come to the office often and say, well, I just don't feel good, I'm tired, and but I'm getting old. Right. And, and I, I'm often careful to point out, we don't make excuses. 
it's probably something that's driving the, the, the symptoms. And so it, you have to be attentive to your body's signal uh, to you that there's a problem. Um, then, if that's true, that needs to be brought to the attention of your doctor. Uh, and in that case, we have a lot of options in terms of making the diagnosis and certainly lots of options in terms of the way we treat it. Uh, simple things such as stress tests uh, and, you know, if necessary, imaging procedures such as cardiac catheterization where we put an IV in the artery uh, either in the wrist or the, the leg and run up to the heart and put some dye in the arteries and actually take a picture of them. Uh, sometimes we can do that with a CAT scan. Uh, and if you have blocked arteries, then the carry-on from that is that we have some options to treat it mechanically with stents and, and uh, certainly bypass surgery in the, in the proper circumstances. And then lastly, we know that, that if you take care of those six risk factors, mm -hmm. that is to say you, you treat your diabetes or do things to modify uh, your blood sugar and your metabolism, you take care of your blood pressure, Roughly 50 million people in the United States have unrecognized hypertension. Wow. Um, you take care of those things, you take care of your cholesterol, and we have guidelines for this, uh, and a lot of medications, to, uh, new ones included, uh, in fact. And, um, and you, above all, don't do things that make, make it worse. Don't smoke. There's just no way in the world you can smoke and, and think that it's not going to have an effect on, on your heart and your lungs. So being attentive to what heart artery disease is, uh, am I at risk for it? Uh, could what I feel be my heart, could, could it be a problem? And then get attention, get proper attention with your family doctor and or your cardiologist. And so these risk factors, um, it can be just one of them. It doesn't have to be a few of them. It Correct. can be just like one, say you're a smoker and and you can't just smoke a little bit. Isn't it heavy smoking or is it just smoking at all? Smoking is just really... So to answer your question in a little, little different way, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned, there are six major risk factors for coronary disease. I like to think that if you want to list number one is smoking, number one, two, three, four, and five are smoking. Are smoking, yeah. That alone is enough. That and it's yeah. true of high cholesterol and blood pressure. Okay. We have a Scott on the line for you. Hi, Scott. Thank you for calling. What is your question? Well, I just want to let the doctor know that at age eight years old in 1968, I had a massive heart attack. And I, they sent me to Houston, Texas under Dr. Denton Cooley, and he, and I, I spent a year under him, then finally they decided to go in and see what happened to me. And I was born without half of a left artery. And, uh, and they did surgery on me in 1969. And I'm 65 years old today, so I'm going pretty strong. It's pretty amazing the, the benefits that we've seen from the advancements in uh, all elements of, of cardiology and cardiovascular surgery. Uh, what you're referring to is an, uh, an abnormality, a congenital abnormality of heart arteries. In other words, not having uh, the usual type of anatomy. Uh, and you certainly landed in good hands. Dr. Cooley had a terrific reputation uh, at the Texas Heart Institute and uh, at St. Luke's uh, Hospital in, in Houston. Uh, it was certainly arguable that they were heavy pioneers in, in cardiac surgery. Uh, so 
you're very fortunate, and and uh, I'm glad to hear that you do you're doing well. And my cardi my cardiologist today is Dr. Brent Robinson in Texas, Canada. Well, good, and and you should stay with him. <laughs> yeah, Scott, thank you for your story. You, That's sir. remarkable. Glad oh, I, I, I want I want to write my story and make a book out of it, and it will be a. I've had eight open heart surgeries, eight of them. Anyway, I want to write my score, but I, I, I just can't find anybody to help me write it because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly hope you find someone because that would be very interesting. Thank you so much for calling and let us know your story today. We appreciate it and glad you're doing so well. Thank you very much. Thank you. So to be born without a left ventricle, so what was the surgery can you you can live that way well it sounds like he had uh, was born without one of the arteries that supply the heart being in the proper location oh. and so uh, they I would guess had to maneuver circulation around to to protect that side of his heart that's, that's uh, there are uh, what we call anomalies or mm -hmm. abnormal location of arteries uh, that occur about 10 to 15 percent of patients most of them are not as dramatic is that you know yeah. such that would require surgery or some intervention? But uh, uh, 1969 uh, highlights the beginning of, of cardiac surgery as we know it. Uh, certainly, things have advanced substantially in that period of time, uh, and we've learned quite a lot about what we can and what we can't do, and what we can and cannot expect mm -hmm. from uh, heart surgery. But uh, tremendous advancements in that period of time. That's incredible. We have Jennifer on the line for you. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for calling. What's your question? Hi, yes. Um, I have a question regarding the imaging that is done on the heart versus uh, cardiac catheterization to, you know, inject dye. I have a friend that had that done. And how effective is that regarding potential need for a stent? So we were just talking about the developments of, of heart surgery, and uh, it was not long after uh, heart surgery was developed in the late 60s uh, that cardiac catheterization uh, became much more prominent. Why? Because we had to have a way to identify patients who had blocked arteries. And so uh, the technique was pioneered by a physician uh, in France uh, initially, in his garage using some materials that would probably stun most people. Uh, and has it, it from gone, it's gone from that point to, the, to this point where we are today. Cardiac catheterization uh, is a term that implies putting a small IV uh, in an access point, usually the femoral artery, the artery in the groin, or the radial artery, the one in, the, in your wrist. Uh, and from that access point, we have catheters that are uh, many centimeters long that will reach from the access point, so from the wrist or the groin, all the way up to the arteries, the little arteries that supply the heart. Uh, we can then, under x-ray guidance, put those catheters in the arteries, inject contrast material, and take pictures with the x-ray camera from about six or eight angles so that we get a really good idea of what's there from a visual perspective. What we can't do is look down the bore of the artery and tell you, hey, this is, with absolute certainty, this artery is 72% blocked. We can't do that. 
in the last 10 to 15 years, technology has evolved so that we can put a through that catheter a uh, small wire that is capable of measuring electrical impedance, uh, which then is translates to the amount of blood flow on either side of a blockage. And we can then conclude whether a blockage is significant or not, uh, yet another advance. Those images allow us to see the arteries and then know what territories, what parts of the heart are struggling for blood flow. And if there's a significant blockage and it's appropriate, uh, we can then, in many cases, fix that problem with a balloon and stent. Angioplasty right. or stent well, placement. And the way okay, that works so is to go, go back through the same equipment uh, with those tiny little wire that we advance into the artery itself that is uh, not quite two-tenths of a millimeter in diameter. Uh, and then track over that a balloon, inflate the balloon, which cracks open the cholesterol plaque, uh, and then we go back with a stent, which is a piece of wire mesh. Looks something like window screen rolled into a tube, if you will, uh, and that is used as a scaffold to hold the artery open. And that all has advanced over the last 30 years, uh, substantially, uh, to a point that we now know that we can get reasonable results, good angiographic results, in other words, a pretty picture, and have it remain that way about 95 to 97% of the time. So that's the rough way okay. we treat that. Right, well, I guess basically I was wondering though, I had a friend that had the CT, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the procedure, but it was a CT of her heart to show if there was any, um, plaque buildup in her heart muscle, in her arteries. Yes. So the so, stent is much more effective than that, but that is a partial Well, a cardiac catheterization is, is the gold standard to look at heart arteries. Now, what you're referring to, I think, okay. is a cardiac CAT scan, which is a, a technique that's evolved over about the last 20 years. Um, <clears throat> CAT scanning has been available since the mid-70s. It allows the x-ray camera to move in a very fast fashion around the patient in a tube, so to speak. Right. Um, and for the first uh, 30 years or so of CAT scanning, that we were somewhat limited by the ability to, to get as much x-ray information uh, as we can now. And uh, that's, that's just technology. But the bottom line is we can put an IV in the hand, inject some contrast material, and then do a CAT scan in a very fast fashion that allows us to see uh, in images that are about a half a millimeter in, in thickness uh, the, the arteries supply in the heart. There's some limitations which include the uh, motion of the patient and uh, size and some other technical factors, but cardiac CAT mm -hmm. scan can be a very useful tool to look for uh, heart artery disease. Okay. Okay, well thank you very much. Dr. Winterton, I'll have to give you, a, uh, tell you that my pediatrician was your dad. Oh. <laughs> well, not mine, but my two sons. So I have a great fond uh, respect for him as a doctor and I know you as a cardiologist moving back to the area is, is a wonderful thing. That's wonderful, thank you very much for that. That is very nice. Thank you so much for calling, Jennifer. We appreciate that.
And so what are the, we talked about earlier too, um, about, and thank you for that image too, about it being look, like a screen rolled up. I never really understood like what it was really, what it looked like and what was in there. And that's really, mm -hmm. that's really helpful to imagine that looking like that. And you talked about as early as 32 years old, this can start to set. Do people have symptoms that young and what are they? That's, that's the unfortunate fact is that obviously most people at 32 uh, years of age do not have symptoms. Uh, the problem being that the development of cholesterol plaque itself poses substantial risk in some people more than others. And so it's incredibly important to recognize those risk factors that, that I mentioned because that's, that paints the picture of, of, of the future for you. And if you have those risk factors, then I think it, you have to assume it's possible you've developed cholesterol plaque. Mm. Another unfortunate fact is that on any given day, a cholesterol plaque that we would call 20 or 30 percent narrowing the artery, uh, so insignificant in terms of blood flow, can become instantly a problem if the plaque breaks open, which leads to what is a heart attack? How does that happen? A heart attack implies heart muscle damage, uh, which can be temporary or per permanent. Uh, if it's not treated quickly, it's permanent because the heart has no, no way of regenerating itself. Mm. Um, what can happen is a cholesterol plaque of any severity uh, become unstable. Uh, it breaks open and exposes the cholesterol esters, the cholesterol debris in the form of little crystals to the bloodstream. And once that happens, it stirs up uh, the inflammatory response that the body typically uh, has at its disposal to treat wounds and infections, etc. And that's wonderful, with the exception of the fact that we're talking about an artery that's three millimeters in diameter. So if you cut your finger and you bleed, you make a blood clot, you stop bleeding. That's great if it's your finger. It's not so good if it's a three millimeter artery that cannot accommodate much in the way of clot. Right. Blocks the artery off, causes damage. Okay. We have Charles on the line for you. Hi, Charles. Thanks for calling. What's your question? Uh, yes. I uh, I was wondering, is there any kind of medication that can clear plaque out of your arteries? I've had cholesterol for probably 35 years, and I've tried statins, and uh, they affect my muscles where I can't take them. And I had a lifeline screening, and... It showed that I had a mild uh, carotid artery plaque. So I was just wondering, if, is there any kind of medication that, that clears plaque out? So the, thank you for that question because that's, that, that's a question that a lot of people need answered for the very reasons that you highlighted. The medications are out there to treat high cholesterol. Uh, there are some side effects, they are rare. Uh, fortunately, but some people don't tolerate them, and there are other options besides statins. Uh, do they cause the regression of existing cholesterol plaque uh, is, a, is a controversy. The general answer to that question is we, don't, we cannot tell you that. Uh, but as I was alluding to a minute ago talking about heart attacks, cholesterol plaque is made up of cholesterol esters in the form of crystals. They're very irritating to the to the artery, it's to the tissue in the artery itself, and um, they induce an inflammatory response. You get scar tissue formation, 
calcification, just like if you if you had problems with your knee. And uh, the mechanism, the ultimate mechanism for the medications we use is to stabilize that cholesterol, reduce the cholesterol ester content of the plaque, stabilize the plaque so that it doesn't rupture. You'd like to think and hear that we could tell you with certainty that we're going to make it go away, sort of the Drano idea. Um, but while that's not true, what we can tell you with good certainty is that if you take cholesterol medicine and reduce your LDL cholesterol, which ultimately reduces those inflammatory cholesterol crystals uh, in, the, in the arteries, that we can help you live longer. And that's very clear. In fact, the, the reduction in mortality is substantial, up to around 50% oh, wow. if, if we achieve a uh, goal. There are guidelines for certain, for each group of patients relative to the number of risk factors that they have. So no, we can't tell you with great certainty that we're going to make it all go away, but we can tell you with, with a high level of certainty that by taking medication and stabilizing what's there, that we can help you live longer and stay out of trouble. It's also then very important to not smoke uh, and pour gasoline on a fire, so to speak. <laughs> That's what smoking does, right? It's just like throwing gasoline right. on a fire. Does that answer your question? It sure does. Thank you very much. Oh, we appreciate you calling. Thanks for watching Helpline 3. We appreciate it. And so talk, let's talk a little bit about smoking technically. Can we, like it, Sure. smoking, does it, is it because it affects the lungs and that affects the rest of the body? I'm sorry, what's the name? We have a David on the line, so I'll save my question. Okay. Hi, David, what is your question? Yes, uh, that, my mom was telling me about getting exercise. I can exercise, I'm physically, feel physically able to do it, but I can't do very much of it, I run out of breath. But uh, I, can, I can be walking or doing something, it seems like I'm gonna take my bad breath in my body. I sit down for about three or four minutes, it's like it never happened. I mean, well, so this, this, what you're describing highlights the importance of paying attention to how you feel and, and, not, and not, not necessarily that you're having chest pain, although in your case you describe being short of breath, paying attention to the fact that you can't do what you want to do. And that, that means that you need to see your doctor with those symptoms. And you need to see your doctor before you start exercising. Yeah, that's what I'm scared of. You know, I get there and fall out or something. But like I say, I can't even tell it until it happens. I can go into another 30, 40 yards and uh, it happens again, you know. Right. And so <clears throat> you're highlighting symptoms, and, and that means that you need immediate attention from your doctor, either your family doctor or your cardiologist. Okay. But I would do uh, that immediately. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. you take care of yourself. Go see your doctor before you do any more exercising, right? And thank you so much for calling. And that's a really good point, too. Oh, we have a James on the line. Hi, James. What is your question? Hi. Hi. My question this morning is I'm feeling always fatigue and shortness of breath. Um, 
and I'd like to know what I need to do. They took me off my uh, private statin because of uh, my liver and for my uh, medicine to work with my liver. And now that I finished the medicine, do I go right back on the private statin? And what do I need to do about uh, exercise uh, with, with, with shortness of breath? So let me answer the question relative to what you need to do, and it applies to the gentleman who called earlier, which is to say that if you're having symptoms such as pain or pressure or tightness in your chest, if you're short of breath, if you notice that you can't exercise without having symptoms or simply don't have the energy, you need to contact your family doctor or your cardiologist immediately. Certainly. Uh, a person who's having continued chest pain should go to the emergency room uh, if if that's not something that's already been addressed. The to exercise before being evaluated if you're having symptoms is dangerous, and so again, getting getting immediate attention from your doctor or uh, your cardiologist or the emergency room uh, is is very important. Um, relative to the cholesterol medication, uh, that's again something you need to address with your doctor. Uh, we have a lot of choices to treat high cholesterol. The, the statin medications uh, refers to medications that alter cholesterol metabolism in the liver. Uh, one of the potential side effects is alteration in liver function, which is what you alluded to. The uh, Today, the number of number of folks that are limited uh, by liver function taking their statin medicine is not real high, but we have other, other options uh, that can get us around that problem. So you need to talk to your doctor about that to try to get a solution. All right, so James, go see your doctor and thank you so much for calling. And we have Sharon on the line for you now. Hi Sharon, what is your question? Hi, I want to know what is the best treatment for social anxiety? Social anxiety is a common problem. It's certainly not, not necessarily a cardiovascular problem. I'll tell you that it does uh, affect the heart. Uh, we often see patients who have uh, present with the feeling that their heart's beating fast, etc. cetera. Uh, social anxiety has lots of different manifestations. Um, and so, again, the, the simple solution to that is, well, the simple answer to it is to talk to your doctor, your family doctor. Yeah. Definitely a good question. Does that answer your question, Sharon? Yes. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for you have calling. A good day. That's a really good point and probably a good thing to kind of talk about as we wrap up a little bit that anxiety can feel like, and I think some wonder if it is heart disease or something going on. But we've got Margaret back on the line. Hi, Margaret. Yeah. What is your question? My question is, how long are you how long do you think stents How long do stents last? Well, so historically, stents were first developed in, in about 1993, and we had there were issues with with stents, uh, the early stents that had scar tissue form within the struts of the stent, the metal pieces, their open gaps, as I described it, kind of like window screen. In about 1997, uh, the first stints with medication were, were developed. 
medication in the form of, a, of chemotherapy agents. And those chemotherapy agents were, are designed to prevent the ingrowth of scar tissue. And those have developed progressively over the next five or so years. Uh, so that around 2003, we were using lots of those medicated stents. And the, the chance of the, the stents failing or, or having cl cholesterol plaque and scar tissue grow through them is around 5%. So it's very low. Okay, okay. does that answer your question, Margaret? Well, yes, I have spent some years ago, it might have been 20 years ago, but since that time, I don't smoke. I see my cardiologist and my uh, med medical doctor uh, during the time that I'm supposed to. And uh, I take care of my cholesterol. I take my cholesterol medicine. And everything that I'm supposed to do, I do it. And I just want to know, is this enough? Well, you're doing the. Th it sounds like you're doing the things that that we ask our patients to do, to do their part to prevent the problem from getting worse. You take care of diabetes. There's a lot of lot of new medication out there uh, to treat diabetes aggressively. We aggressively treat high blood pressure and we apply this the standard measurements to everyone. <coughs> In general, normal being 130 over 80. And then we drive LDL cholesterol down for patients with heart artery disease below 70. And then lastly, don't smoke. And I think it sounds like you're doing all those things. All right, that sounds really good. Thank you again so much for your call. We've had such great calls today and then really, really that good thread with just take care of yourself, don't smoke. And uh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today, Dr. Richard, and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Right, sure, thank you everyone for calling. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you next time on Healthline 3.